Well, thank you. It is a joy and a privilege for me to be here. To obviously be behind this pulpit is uh, quite a thrill for me. Just being here in the Columbia Loop, just driving around here, it brings back obviously a lot of incredibly great and then incredibly terrible memories for me. One of those terrible memories actually uh, was one time I was doing one of those internships and I was borrowing someone else's car because my car was away at school. And so I was borrowing someone else's car. I was coming up Eliseville Parkway right here. And uh, it was one of those really, really rainy days, like torrential downpour, like you're cutting through water kind of rain. And I uh, couldn't really see. Your windshield wipers are going back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I couldn't really see what was in front of me. And then I heard this loud thud. And apparently a tree had fallen down in the middle of the street. And so I hit this tree. And uh, I heard the infamous Thud, 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 thud. And I knew exactly what I did to someone else's car. I basically destroyed that tire. And uh, so I pulled into the parking lot down there at the Starbucks and uh, had a good dad. He taught me how to change a tire, right? Raising men, not boys. So I know how to change a tire. So I, I put that thing up on the jack and I'm ready to change this tire. And uh, I realized at the moment in time where the car was up in the air, I realized where I had parked. I didn't park in a level parking space. I parked in one of those parking spaces where the drain is right at the end of the parking space. So that means it's on a downhill. And I uh, slowly saw that car creak a little bit. I slowly saw that car fall off the jack and land directly on the curb, um, and to which the bumper just completely dislocated and went, <laughs> just came off. And uh, remember, this is someone else's car. This is not my car. And I, I freaked out. I was like, uh-oh. So the first person I called was obviously that person whose car it was. And they were fine. Uh, they, they were not mad at me, which is great. Um, but it was a big deal for me to wreck a, a tire and a bumper of someone else's car because someone else's car is, is important to them. It, it's expensive. It's a, it's a powerful machine. It's got a lot of insurance on it. It's important every time you take the keys of someone else's car that you, you take care of it because you're stewarding that car as it's very expensive and the responsibility is great. Well, if you're a Christian today, you are also borrowing something way more expensive, way more valuable, way more responsibility than just a car. You're borrowing God's life. Everything that you have, every gift that you have, every dollar in your bank account, every ability that you have, every day that you have, every hour that you have, those are borrowed from God. You are, God, you are a steward of God with those things that he has given you. And there comes great responsibility with being one of God's stewards. So that's why I want us to, to open up and to study here together this morning. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30 is our text this morning, the parable of the talents. And I think it's important for us as we look forward to a new year. We look forward to hopefully the end of 2020 and the new beginning of 2021. We want to get excited about that, but we also want to make sure that we are using it for the glory of God. We want to make sure that we are stewarding it well because we know it is borrowed time. 2021 is not yours. 2020 is not yours. It is God's. And so we want to make sure that we steward that appropriately because that is a big responsibility. We want to Take the investment God has made in us and invest it in, in his kingdom and in his church. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30 is our text today, the parable of the talents. Hopefully you're familiar with it, but let's study it afresh this morning. Let's start here in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God here. And so he says, for it, referring to the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away and he received the five talents. He went at once and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents, he made two talents more. 
But he who had received the one talent, he went and he dug it in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents, he came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had the two talents. He came forward saying, Master, you've delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made you two more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent, he came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And his master answered him and he said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, in this section of scripture, Jesus is, is just about to leave. This is the, the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples right before he's about to die. This is in the middle of the Passion Week. So Jesus is going to die at the end of this week. He's going to rise again at the beginning of the next week. And his disciples are, are a little freaked out because Jesus keeps saying, hey, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. And in this section right here, in this discourse, he's, he's talking to them, he's teaching them what you have to do when I leave. He's talking about the end of the world. The big 10-letter word that we like to, or the 10-point word that we like to, to use for this is, is eschatology. Eschatology is just the study of the end times. And we think of that in such theoretical terms. We think, oh, you know, that's something that you do over at CBI. You, you, you sit here and you talk about when the millennium's gonna happen. Maybe you talk about when the rapture's gonna happen. You talk about Israel. You talk about the church. You talk about the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel. You know, you look at all these prophecies. Eschatology is mere theoretical for us to argue back and forth what positions we hold. But in this section here, Jesus is talking about eschatology, and it's a lot deeper than just the theoretical. It's practical as well. And what he's doing here in this parable, in the parables uh, around this section, he's, he's saying, you need to be ready. I'm going to come back soon. I'm going to come back soon, and when I do, you need to make sure that you are working hard for the kingdom of God when I'm away. You don't see it here in this text, but this whole parable is talking about stewardship. The, the master, he gives these talents, this large sum of money to these people, to these servants here, and they're supposed to take what is not theirs, what's borrowed from the master, and use it for his glory and for his purposes. They are stewards of the master's money. And I think that's something that we need to take away, looking forward to the future, looking forward to next year, 2021. I want you to write down this way for point number one, resolve to be a faithful steward in 2021. Resolve to be a faithful steward in 2021. Stewardship is, is the idea of managing someone else's property, managing someone else's money. So there's a heightened attention required. When you borrow someone else's car, there's a heightened attention required. You shouldn't be running over trees uh, as you're driving up Lisa Vale Parkway. You should be making sure that you are taking care of that expensive thing because it is someone else's. 
And that's what this master does here with these talents. You look at the footnote here in your ESV Bibles, maybe you see the footnote that says a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wage for a laborer. So think lots and lots of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this is a big deal. This is a lot of money that the master is entrusting in these, in these servants here. You think of the, the great show Shark Tank. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Shark Tank, it's a good show where, these inve- where a bunch of investors, these five investors come, uh, they're in this shark tank, if you will, and an entrepreneur will come in with their product, with their invention, with their service that they offer, and they say, hey, will you give me a, a couple hundred thousand dollars and I'll give you 15% or 20% of, of equity in my company? And these, these sharks, you know, Mark Cuban and all the rest, they, they start asking those really important questions. And they say, hey, what are you going to do with that $100,000? What are you going to do with that $500,000? And sometimes those entrepreneurs are really dumb. Sometimes they say, well, I haven't paid myself in a long time. I, I, I really want some salary. I really want to take home some money. And at that point, everyone says, okay, I'm out. I, I don't, I don't want to deal with this guy if he's just going to pay himself and remodel his kitchen or something like that. But when the, per, when the entrepreneur says, yeah, I'm going to use this money and I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to make inventory. I'm going to go and, and make this online store so we can sell more and make more money. So that 20% of, of equity will actually make that investor money and make that entrepreneur money uh, through, through the advances that he makes in, in his business there. And the, town, the, the master here is doing the same thing. He's investing, he's giving money to these servants with the intention that they actually go do something for it. They don't take it and go remodel their kitchen. They don't take it and, and take it for their own gain or personal gain like the one talent servant, but they take their five, they take their two, hopefully they take their one and they go do something with it. There's an intention of, of action here in this, in this text. You see the five talent servant, he does it immediately. Verse 15, he says, he gives each one of these guys five, two, and one, each according to their own ability. So each person has a different responsibility. Every person here has a different responsibility. And it's not necessarily for us to go back and forth and argue like, I'm a five, I'm a two, I'm a one. But it's whatever you have, whatever your maximum capacity is, your job is to steward all five, all two, all one of those talents that you have and make more, make five more, make two more, make one more. There's an intention for action right away. The investment strategy here is is basically all in. You're going all in. You're five for five, you're two for two, you're one for one. Make the master more money in light of this, this parable, if you will. And so we don't want to necessarily narrow the application too much. Oh, we're specifically talking just about spiritual gifts. We're specifically talking just about money. But let's talk about it in terms of the spiritual investment that God has made in you. And that could include your money. That could include your spiritual gifts. That could include the gospel. That could include your Bible education. That could include you sitting here every weekend hearing from behind this pulpit the teaching of God's word. You have a responsibility. Each one of us, it looks different. It's not for us to argue back and forth what you have but I love the way that Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48, or Luke 12, 48, rather. He says, to whom much was given of him, much will be required. That's a really scary thing for us to think about. Every sermon, every book, every small groups, every partner's chapter that you've been through, every you know, training that you've had at CBI across the street, every one of those things that God has invested in you, you're now responsible for. 
That's a really scary and sobering thought for us to have, but that should help motivate us to now use what has been given to us, what has been invested in us, this very expensive talent or multiple talents, and now we're going to go do something. We're going to put boots to the ground and have action. To whom much was given, much will be required. If you are a parent and you go away on a date night, you go away on a vacation or something like that, and you've got your kids and all different ages, you're going to give each kid a different set of responsibility. Your 16-year-old, it's going to be a pretty long list. Hey, make sure that your, your little brother gets fed. Make sure that you, you know, lock the doors at night. Make sure you do a lot of these things because they're 16 years old. There's a lot of responsibility for a 16-year-old. But a 10-year-old, you'd make that list a little bit shorter. Maybe your five-year-old, your four-year-old, that list would be really short, right? It would just kind of be go to bed, you know, make sure you obey your sister or your brother. Why? Because each one of those kids, 16-year-old, 10-year-old, four-year-old, they each have a different responsibility. You've invested in each of those kids a different amount of time. So therefore, more responsibility is given to the 16-year-old than the five-year-old. That's the idea here of each according to his own ability. Look down at verse 16. It talks about the guy with the five talents. Read it here together with me. It says, he who had received the five talents, he went after a long time. He went after he counted his talents. He went after he hung out for a little while, spent some of them, played golf. No, it says he would receive the five talents. He went at once. It's urgent. It's immediate. I'm going right away. My master is giving me this large chunk of change. I'm going to make sure that I go make my master a large chunk of change too. And I'm going to start right now. This is an urgent matter. It's time for us to get to work. I want you to flip over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Similar context here. Jesus talking about the end of the world, talking about eschatology, talking about his disciples needing to be ready. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 35 with me together. Eschatology is not mere theoretical, mere writing research papers and arguing positions, but it is action in terms of being ready for Christ to come back. Verse 35, Luke chapter 12, he says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him and at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are, are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and will have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, he finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had not known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is faithful and a wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Again, there's an urgency to the action. There's an urgency to obedience, to advancing the kingdom of God, to serving the church. It's not, oh, tomorrow, oh, maybe 2022, maybe after COVID is over, maybe once you know, life settles down a little bit more, maybe when my kids are not online uh, at, for school anymore, maybe then I'll start investing. Maybe tomorrow I'll start to do stuff for the church. Maybe tomorrow I'll start to invest in my relationship with God. It's not what the five-talent servant did. That's not what the two-talent servant did. They got to work right away with what God had invested in them. I think it's a question of, do you actually believe that Jesus could come back at any moment? Does that eschatology, if you will, actually make any difference in your life? 
Are we thinking about the return of Christ? Are we thinking he could come back at any moment? So I should live every moment like, it could, like he could come back, like the master can return at any time. This is a time-sensitive issue, and there's urgency from the five-talent and the two-talent servant here in this text. He's getting to work. I love the way that Paul puts it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, talk, talking about his, his stewardship now being action, now resulting in action. He says, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul's mentality was urgent selflessness. Paul's mentality was urgent love. Paul's mentality was urgent obedience because Jesus could come back at any moment. He still could come back this year of 2020 because it's not over yet. He could come back this afternoon. He could come back in five minutes. He could come back in 100 years. I don't know. We don't know. But that urgency should, should result in action for us. Paul says it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's the mindset that we need to have as a steward. Investing in the kingdom of God means investing in one another. When you show up to church, is it, for, is it for you? Is it for, oh, I want to see my friends. I want to my friends to come up to me. Or is it, no, no, I'm, my job is everyone else. My job is serving. My job is encouraging one another. My job is to love one another with the love that God has now shown me. The mentality of the steward, of the five-talent and the two-talent steward is immediate obedience, right away getting to work, pouring myself out for one another. I see I've had people ask questions about this parable before and say, hey, what if I'm a five-talent steward, but I go out and I make three? If you think about how much money that is, that's a lot of money, right? If I take my five and I make three more, I'm the two and I make one more. Is that good enough? That's not, that's not good enough. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The five, he makes five. The two, he makes two. And the one, he should have made one. That's why we have to have this mindset of all in, all in 2021. I'm going to serve the kingdom of God. I'm going to serve the church. I'm going to take someone through partners. I'm going to share the gospel with my coworkers and follow up time and time again. I'm sure your calendar is already starting to fill up this, for this next year. You've thought about the vacations that you want to take, right? You've thought about the things that you want to do with your family. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? This is about me, me, me. It should be really, if you're a five-talent or a two-talent servant, it's about God, God, God. My calendar should look different if I am a steward urgently working for the kingdom of God. My Wednesday nights should look different. My Sunday afternoons, I should go home exhausted, exhausted. I don't know if you've felt that spiritual exhaustion before where you go home after a church event, you go home after serving, maybe you, you know, serve on Wednesday night, maybe you serve on Tuesday, Tuesday night, you're doing junior high ministry or high school ministry or something like that. And you go home, trust me, I do it. And you go home and you're, you, you just poop out on the bed. You're just like, oh man, like I am so tired. That was a long, long night of screaming kids. That was a long night of serving in kids ministry. That was a long night of, uh, of putting chairs away when no one else noticed. That's a great feeling. That feeling should, be, should give you the most energy and the most, maybe not physical energy, but spiritual energy of, wow, I am pouring myself out for the kingdom of God. I'm like that drink offering that Paul is talking about, pouring myself out for the kingdom of God like the, like the stewards here in this text. See, I told you that the word steward 
The word stewardship is not found in our text, but the word servant is. The Greek word for servant here is not really a servant, but is a slave. Doulos, it means, to, it means a slave. And so if we have that mentality of, of a slave, we're owned by God. He calls the shots. I don't call the shots. My calendar reflects his priorities, not my priorities. That's the mentality of, of the stewards here, of the five talent and the two talent at least. And it's a lot of hard work. And there's going to be lots of difficult, hard days next year. There was a lot of difficult, hard days this year. And when you go home and you're, you're tired, you're laying on your bed, you're like, wow, that was a lot of work for me to go do this for other people. They didn't even notice. They didn't even say thank you. Should I even do it next week? Should I do it tomorrow morning? Should I come back? Should I keep serving or should I quit? Maybe you've had that thought before. Well, look back at the text. Look back at verse 19. Here's what happens when the master comes back for the five-talent steward and the two-talent steward who got to work right away. Verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of those servants, he came and he settled accounts with them. And he would receive the five talents. He came forward bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he says the same thing to the two-talent servant that does the exact same thing. There's a return of this investment here. Obviously, we are working for God. The investment God has made in us, we are now investing back in him for his honor, for his glory, not for our honor, not for our glory. But there is a return of your investment that you can look for as you on those long nights when you go home just tired, frustrated, discouraged. We can look forward to our return. So write it down this way for point number two, anticipate your coming return. Anticipate your coming return. Return is in the now, not as in the verb. Jesus is the one that returns. But the return in terms of the, the noun is we are, are looking forward to the return of this investment. At the end of this, the finish line, when we are standing face to face with the God of the universe, with the God that we sit here and worship, we will see him unveiled face. We will dwell in place of God. We'll be uh, again once together with man. And that will be a beautiful day. We cannot wait for that day. And we reach the finish line every tired night, every frustrating conversation, every awkward partners meeting, those will all pay off. There will be a return for that investment. The climax of all of redemptive history is glorification, is Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verses one through eight, talking about the dwelling place of God with man again. Wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. That will be a beautiful day. That coming return, we can look forward to it. We can live in light of that. pushing through those difficult, tough, discouraging days of 2021. No one can guarantee you that 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. It could, it could be worse. We don't, we, we don't really know at this point in time. We don't know. And if it is, if it's a lot worse, this truth will still be relevant. This truth will still be truth. We can still rest our hat in the fact that all of these difficult days will result in standing face to face before God, and we will be rewarded for it. I love the way that Paul has this mentality in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He uses this illustration of this athlete working very hard for their craft, working very hard to, to, to run in this race for a perishable wreath that will one day burn up and they cannot take it with them. But we should, should outwork the athlete, should outwork the LeBron James, the Tiger Woods, the whoever it is, the, the incredible athlete that devotes their whole life to their craft. We're outworking them for our sanctification. Why? Because those championship rings, that imperishable wreath, those trophies will all be burned up. You can't take it with you. And so we need to outwork that athlete is basically what Paul is trying to say here in 1 Corinthians 9. And during those difficult days, we have to remember the finish line. We've got to run hard to the tape, run hard through the finish line. And see, Christians can become sometimes too spiritual. We talk about rewards. We don't want to sound like Joel Olstein or something like that. So we don't want to think about rewards. Our, our, our purpose is the glory of God and not us. And, and I agree, the purpose is the glory of God and not us. But it doesn't negate the fact that these rewards are real and they're tangible. And God says you can even focus on them. Matthew chapter 6, hopefully you know that. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves rake in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love verse 21. We sometimes leave it out, but I think it's very important. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 6, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our attention is fixated on eternity. Our attention is fixated on beyond those, those tired nights, beyond those discouraging nights, beyond those awkward coffee meetings. We're thinking about the finish line. We're thinking about the payoff, and that motivates us. That keeps us going. That keeps us on the path. Maybe you work a job where you have commission and you have some sort of bonus system, and maybe you don't wake up every morning and the first thought you have is commission, but it definitely helps, doesn't it? It definitely helps motivate you oh man, a long, I could put in another hour and maybe get a little bit more commission. Maybe I could put in another, another hour and I can reach that, that bonus tier that I need to get to. Those are incentives and that's why they give them to you, right? So that you can work a little harder and, and you get a return of that investment, of that hard work that you, that you put in. Is commission the most important thing in your life? No, but is it definitely important? Yeah, I would say it, I would say it is. It might not be your primary motivation, but it's definitely a subordinate one. And so when you think about rewards, we can think about it that way in that eternal mindset that, that Jesus says there in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a mindset that we need to cultivate. If you would, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I love this text as it gets our minds focused on what we need to be focused on off of our current circumstance and onto what really matters Colossians chapter three, Paul is trying to do a similar thing and get this, this church to take their, their attention off of their circumstance and onto eternity. Colossians chapter three, verse one to four, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, then you also will appear with him in glory. We need to choose to obsess our mindset, our attention on eternity. And if we do, our decisions, our thoughts, our words will look different today if we're really thinking about the future we won't get in those little arguments with your spouse or with your kids. 
You won't focus too much on the, the money that you have or the money that you don't have. You're not going to focus too much on the, the little things in life that ultimately will burn up and will not matter uh, when, we, when we die. The obsession about the future changes what we do today. See, I was one of those kids that loved sports. I love golf. I still do to this day. And uh, so my dad puts up this, this net in our backyard, and I, I was always out there hours a day when I had time, you know, back as a kid, and I could just had homework to worry about. And so I'd go out in the backyard, and I would hit ball after ball after ball after ball, and I'd hit putt after putt after putt. And I was that weird kid that, like, talked to himself. It's like, hey, this is Matt Fabara. It's lining up to, to beat Tiger Woods in the Masters. You know, I was like, this is it right here. And so I, I'd do that over and over again, and I'd be like, this is it. And I'd like fist pump too, like a weirdo, you know, like talking to myself. And think about the kid that does that, and then it actually pays off for him. It didn't really pay off for me. I'm not, I'm not a pro. I can't be Tiger Woods. I can't do it. I'm here instead, which is good. But the kid that really does that, what, they don't even go to school, right? They, they homeschool them, right? Because they're, they're focused on getting better in their sport. Their, their diet looks different. Their schedule looks different. Their schooling looks different. Everything in their life looks different because, oh, I'm so obsessed with this sport. I'm going to go pro. And you, you watch on TV, you know, these guys, LeBron James or, you know, Tiger Woods or something like that. They had no childhood, right? All they did was basketball. All they did was golf. All they did was their sport. And their mind was so obsessed on that one thing. And it, it did pay off for them, at least in the, in, in the physical sense of it, they made it to where they were trying to get to. The hard work, the uh, obsession about the future, it alters today. And that eternal mindset needs to create that more urgent stewardship as we just talked about a couple minutes ago, especially as we look forward to the end of December and we look forward to the beginning of January. I always think about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of the most famous resolve or resolution maker. I have his, his poster in my office, and so I see those resolutions every day, and I, I read them every once in a while, but I love what he says here in resolution number seven. He says, resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. And see, that's the mindset of someone obsessed about eternity, obsessed about the master coming back at any moment in time. Therefore, my life looks different. My thoughts look different. My words and conversations look different because the master could come back at any moment. I need to be ready for that. See, next year, there's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of things that are going to take your attention. Your schedule is probably already filling up by now. All of those distractions are, are Satan's best friend, right? He would love for you to be so distracted with your schedule, with your agenda, with you know, schooling or kids' sports practices or, or the busyness or the excuses of COVID. He would love for you to obsess your mind in those distractions. Be so nearsighted. That would be awesome for him. He would, he would be the one fist pumping at that point in time. But we don't want Satan fist pumping. We don't want him excited. We don't want those distractions to now take hold of our attention and we can't look beyond them. We want to be like Colossians 3. We want to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. That should be our mindset in 2021. I want to be a soldier, not entangled in civilian pursuits, because my aim is to please the one who has enlisted me. My aim is to be all in for the kingdom of God. My aim is to be the five-talent st steward, 
working my five to make five more, working my two to make two more. I want to anticipate that coming return. But we meet this third servant here. Look back at verse 24. We know the beginning, he, he doesn't do anything with it. He buries it in the ground, but let's read it here together. Verse 24, Matthew 25, verse 24, he says, he also had received the one talent. He came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This one talent servant, he obviously does the exact opposite of what we want to do. He distracts himself with his current circumstance. He takes that money. He's freaked out. He doesn't know what to do. So he goes he, and he doesn't make any more money. He digs it in the ground and he basically wastes it. 2021, we don't want it to be a waste. Tomorrow, this week, next month, we don't want it to be a waste. We don't want to dig those talents in the ground and do nothing with it. He hoards this investment in him. Write it down this way for point number three. This is an important warning for us. Point number three, don't hoard God's investment in you. Don't hoard God's investment in you. This servant here, he was paralyzed with fear and he took what he had and he dug it in the ground and he stockpiled it. He hoarded it. Maybe you've seen that TV show. I don't know why I'm talking about TV shows all the time, but hoarders, they go into these people's houses and they've got trash from the 90s. They've got newspapers from the 50s. They've got books that they've never read. They've got books that they've read a hundred times and it's just trash everywhere. They go into these people's houses, stuff stacked up to the ceiling and they help them clean it up, which is good, but they can't throw anything away. They can't get rid of everything, anything. They can't give stuff away. They can't throw anything away. They can't sell anything. They're so obsessed with it that you can't get rid of it. And that's the sin here of this, uh, of this steward here, this one talent servant. He makes excuses. Look at what he does immediately in verse 24. He points his finger at the master instead of himself. He doesn't even take responsibility. He says, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. He's paralyzed in his fear and he starts to immediately point his finger at the master and he says, it's your fault. I, it's not my fault. I know you gave it to me, but it's your fault. And he excuses himself and he puts his blame on someone else. This is a good reminder for us to not put our blame on anyone else. Take the responsibility that we have and make sure that we steward it well and we don't point fingers at anyone else. The only one that you have to point to if you, if you do hoard it is yourself. That's what the steward do doesn't hear. He makes these excuses. Maybe your excuse doesn't look like his. Hopefully you don't point your finger at God at least very often. I'm, I hope that you don't do that. But you can make excuses of, oh, I don't serve because I'm too busy. I don't serve because I'm too tired. Oh, I don't give because I don't have that much money. Oh, I don't serve in, in that way because I'm not skilled enough to do it. 
I'm like the one talent steward. I'm not the five talent steward. I can't do it. Someone else can do it. Someone else who's got Bible training, they can do it. The mentality of the one servant, the one talent steward here is to point his finger. It's easy for us to point our finger. It's easy for us to make excuses. It's easy for us to be lazy. But that's not what we can do, and it's not what we should do. If you look up the page, Matthew 24, Jesus says something similar here. Verse 45, Matthew 24, he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant, similar to what we just read in Luke 12, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is, is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. But the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants. He eats and he drinks with the drunkards. The master of the servants will come on a day in which he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and will put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's more condemnation for the lazy. There's more condemnation for the wicked. There's more condemnation for the hoarder, for the one who says the master's gone. It's time to party. It's time to do whatever I want. It's my agenda. It's my 2021. It's my year. It's my time to do my stuff with my kids, with my family, not what God wants, not the church. I'm too busy for that. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I'm not skilled to do that. I don't have money to give to the church. I can't do that. Making excuses for not utilizing God's investment in you. You see, I went away to school in the Midwest, and I brought my SoCal vernacular and slang over to the Midwest, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. Californians always stick out like a sore thumb. So I go to the Midwest, the land of Kentucky Fried Chicken, and uh, I'd I make a couple friends. I didn't make a lot. I made a couple friends. And uh, they, they started telling me, you use a lot of weird words, man. You, you do. You say dude all the time. You say bro all the time. You say chill all the time. Dude, bro, chill. And I was like, that's a sentence, man. Dude, bro, chill. Like, I would say that on a regular basis, right? Dude, bro, chill. And they, they always say, oh, you in California, all you do is eat your avocado toast. You go to the beach and you just chill. That's all you do. I was like, that's, yeah, that's not really what we do. Like, you can come visit me. That's not really what we do. Maybe some of us do that, but not, not all of us do that. They said, all you do in California is chill. And see, I don't really care what they say in Kentucky about us Californians. I, re I really don't, at least about our slang or about what we do. But that chill mentality, though it might be something that our culture does, it can never be the mentality of, of a Christian in SoCal at least in terms of the way that they serve the church, at least in terms of the way that they pursue their sanctification, dude, bro, chill is never, is never the mentality of a, of a steward. We don't chill. We don't hang out. We don't take that investment God has made in us and dig it in the ground and say, maybe another day, maybe next year. We don't chill. We work hard. To live as Christ, to die is gain, Paul says. To live as Christ, that means no chill that involved. That means work hard. That means I'm the five-talent steward. I'm the two-talent servant. I'm going to work really, really hard. See, there's condemnation here for this, for this servant. We read that and we think, okay, well, that's a non-Christian then. There's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus, right? That's what Romans 8 chapter 1 says. Condemnation, this guy's not for me. I don't really need to learn anything from him because this is a non-Christian and I'm a Christian. Okay, 
Well, Jesus was actually, the, all of the discourse was to his disciples, to a bunch of Christians. And he was saying, hey, take the warning from this one talent steward who is, who, who, who is someone who is a non-Christian. He does have condemnation, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty clear what he's talking about here. Learn from this non-Christian and live completely differently. I think of Galatians chapter five, Paul, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. We all know that section, but he also talks about the work of the works of the flesh and he puts them next to each other so that you see the black and white. You see how different those two look. Why? To get you to realize I'm on this one side. I can't have anything on this other side, on this works of the flesh side. I need to put all of those to death. I need the fruit of the spirit instead. And so we read this story here, this one talent steward of this non-Christian, if you will, we need to learn from it. We need to not hoard God's investment in us. We need to not make excuses like he does. I can't serve. I can't give. I can't evangelize. None of those words can, can come out of our mouth. The chill mentality cannot infiltrate the church, at least in terms of sanctification, at least in terms of the way that we pursue serving the kingdom of God. We don't chill. We work. It's a great warning for us to not hoard God's investment in us. I don't know what you were doing in 2011, but I'm sure you weren't talking about Bitcoin. And see, Bitcoin this weekend is hitting record highs. It's over $26,000 per Bitcoin. Back in 2011, Bitcoin, you probably hadn't heard of it by that point in time, because it was selling for about a dollar, about a dollar. Now it's $26,000 per Bitcoin now, about a dollar back in 2011. I don't know if you ever thought about it before, like, man, I wish I could kind of go back to my 2011 self and just say, hey, man, this Bitcoin thing, maybe you should throw some dollars in there. Maybe you should throw more than five, more than 10, more than $20. Maybe you should throw a good chunk of change at this Bitcoin thing. Why? Because I know what's going to happen. I've seen the end of the chart, or at least in terms of the end of 2020. We know where it is at this point in time. I know where it's going to go. So get in now, get in on the ground floor, get in while you can, while it's only a dollar, because you're going to make a lot of money. Go all in to that Bitcoin, to that Bitcoin thing that you probably hadn't heard of at that point in time. Why? Because you know where the future goes. And see, the Bible, it's a history book about the future. It's a history book about, about the future. And Jesus is talking right here about eschatology, talking here about the end times. Do you see the future here in this text right here? Jesus calling his shots, these beautiful words. You look back at verse 23. The future is right here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We know the future. And if you would tell your 2011 self to get in on this Bitcoin thing because you know where it's gonna go, how much more do you know where this is gonna go? You know, well done, good and faithful servant for the Christian. I know the end of the graph. I know where this is going to go. And so I want to get in. I want to go all in, dump that savings account in there because I know where this is going. I can be confident in it. Well done, good and faithful servant. It is worth our effort. It is worth those tired nights. It is worth those, those difficult conversations. Being a five-talent steward, a two-talent steward, it's hard, but it pays off if we don't hoard God's investment in us, if our confidence is in the God of this parable, then our 2021 will look a lot different. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me right now. God, we thank you for this helpful reminder 
Matthew chapter 25, you brought to us today. God, thank you for this reminder for us to be good stewards of the investment that you've made in us, whether that is our money, whether that is our gifts, whether that is our time, whether that is the gospel. God, you have invested in us so much. It was so costly to send your son as we just celebrated a couple days ago, his first coming. God, what an incredible payment that was, his death on a cross for enemies, for sinners. God, it was a costly investment that you made in us. I pray that we would now make costly investments in you. God, difficult nights, discouraging conversations, pale in comparison to the sacrifice that you made for us, the investment that you've made in us. And God, we know that we can never pay you back and that's not our intention. But I pray that you would help us, motivate us, encourage us, even convict us to live like the five talent, live like the two talent servant here in our text, going all in for the kingdom of God, going all in for the church of Jesus Christ, going all in next year, not because we want to feel good about ourselves, but we, because we want to bring you honor and glory for the purpose of advancing your kingdom and building your church. God, we love you and we want to be a part of that incredible mission and commission that you have given us. Help us, God, strengthen us, motivate us through those difficult days next year, this year even. God, we love you. I pray that you would do great things through us. As you said, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. May that be the case in this coming year. And God, we do cry as we look at this master coming back. We cry out, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. May you come back soon. May you come back this next year. And may we be working incredibly hard when you do so. God, thanks for this reminder. Thanks for this text. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.